Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about cutting-edge relationship research from Cornell University. Let's satisfy some curiosity. The way we feel about people, like our friends and family, is a lot different than the way we feel about objects, like coffee or bugs. Okay, that's probably obvious, but how we feel differently about these things might surprise you. That's based on what Ashley and I learned from Vivian Zayas, the director of the Personality, Attachment, and Control Laboratory at Cornell University. You'll be hearing Professor Zayas on the Mentality Mondays miniseries we're running during our normal episodes for the next few weeks. But today, we're doing a full episode takeover. You're going to hear an amazing story from our conversation that we just couldn't cut up. We figured the best time to break from our usual format would be on a holiday, and it's Memorial Day here in the United States, so here we are. Happy Memorial Day, by the way. As we learned last week, some of the research coming out of Professor Zayas' lab is looking into things like our implicit self-esteem. That's basically the way you evaluate yourself in a spontaneous, automatic, or unconscious manner. It's how your brain decides you feel about something before you've even consciously registered it. The lab is also looking into partner evaluations, or basically the way you feel about another person before you consciously register it. Sounds like a tall order, right? I mean, how exactly is a researcher supposed to figure out how you feel about someone before you even know how you feel about them? Well, here's Professor Zayas with one method researchers use to measure implicit self-evaluations and partner evaluations. One common way is through reaction time measures. So we might present participants with words on the computer screen, and we might present them with words that are positive and negative. So for example, sunshine is a positive word. And we would just ask participants, when you see a word, tell me if it's good or bad by pressing one of two response keys. So they see the word sunshine, and they indicate whether it's good or bad, and they press the response key. They might see another word, garbage, and they would say, okay, that's bad. And they just press response keys. Then we say, okay, continue to do that task. So classify that target word as good or bad. But before you classify that target word, we're going to show you another word right before. Just ignore that word. And so we might show them something, for example, one of the first studies to study this would show them something that, uh, an object that's positive. So I like coffee. So researchers would show me the word coffee. And then I would classify positive and negative words as good or bad. And what they found was, even though I was told to ignore coffee, I couldn't ignore it. Coffee came to mind, and not only did coffee come to mind, but my attitudes about coffee came to mind spontaneously. And the reason that we know this is because participants weren't asked, tell me how you feel about coffee. They said, ignore coffee, classify the second word. But because coffee activated good, then when that second word was presented, and that word was also good, like sunshine, well, people were faster than to classify sunshine than if that word hadn't been presented. So it's almost like coffee brought to mind good, and now you're thinking all good. So when you're presented with a good word like sunshine, you're going to be faster. And when you're presented with a bad word like garbage, well, you're not going to be slower because you're thinking about good. So in this way, we're able to make an inference about how people feel about coffee. If that first word that participants are told to ignore is something negative, say cockroach, well, you would see the opposite pattern. People see the word cockroach, even though they're told to ignore it, It spontaneously activates their associations with it, their attitudes, which is negative. Now, when the next target word that they're supposed to classify is negative, like garbage, well, they're faster because they were already thinking negative. And when they see sunshine, 
because their mindset was negative, they're going to be slower to classify sunshine. So we can use this type of task, and instead of having coffee and cockroach as the first word, we present participants a romantic partner's name. We could present that as the first word, or we could present your own name. I, I would be presented with Vivian. Uh, you would pre be presented with Cody. Ashley, you would be presented with Ashley. And then we can see what spontaneously comes to mind when you're presented with someone that you know or your own self. So in one of the first studies, we use this method to assess how do people feel about close others. And we ask people to think about a significant other who was loved, who was the person in the world that was most liked, that they felt best about, and that they felt really good about themselves when they were with this person. And so participants named one person. They often named like their mother, their partner, their father, a best friend. We also asked participants, okay, of all the people in your life who are significant, try to think about one person that you don't feel really good about, that elicits some negativity, and that you don't feel really good about yourself when you're with this person. Sometimes they named their mother an ex. And so instead of coffee, we put the names of these people in the task. And one thing that we found was, so say if I put the name of my daughter as the prime instead of coffee. What my research shows that, that is that it activates strong positive evaluations, more so than coffee, which is great. <laughs> but it also activates some negative evaluations to the same extent that cockroach did. Wow. And so that's very different than an object. So an object activates good, but it's not activating negativity. But a person, even the person that is the person that you love the most in this world, activates positivity and activates some negativity to the same extent that a cockroach did in our study. Um, and so I found that to be really interesting, why someone who is so positive activates some negativity. And in that study, we also did the task with someone who was disliked and significant. And so this disliked and significant person, often, again, it was, it could be a mother, it could be an ex, it could be an ex-friend, activated negativity, but also activated positivity. That was also really interesting to us because a negative object does not, right? A negative object like cockroach activates negativity and doesn't activate any positivity. But when you're talking about a person who's significant, who is negative, they're activating both negative and some positive. And so those findings have been really just interesting to me for a very long time and um, has motivated me to try to understand why we have what I'm calling sort of Implicit ambivalence. At an implicit non-conscious level, positive and negative come to mind when we think about a significant other. And it's implicit, meaning people may not necessarily be aware of it, because when I ask people to tell me how they feel, you know, when they're saying, this is the person I love the most, they're not ambivalent. They don't express ambivalence. They express complete adoration for the person. So consciously, they don't experience what we would consider ambivalence, being torn, feeling like they have mixed feelings. They don't. But even for these people, at an implicit non-conscious level, both positive and negative come to mind. And we're trying to get a handle on the factors that affect these evaluations and what they predict. I think we tend to think that a good relationship is generally all good, that there's not going to be this negativity, that if we do have an inkling of negativity, it might say something about a relationship that's undesirable, that our relationship's on a bad track. And um, 
I think this research suggests that that's not necessarily the case. I think that there is potentially some negativity in how we represent other people, I think reflects an inherent part of relationships. Relationships involve coordination with another person. And even in the best relationship with both people wanting to be extremely responsive to one another, there are going to be moments where you're not going to be responsive to the other person. You just can't be. That's not possible to always be completely responsive in this world. And the way our mind works is that that all kind of gets etched into the representation. And that might not necessarily be bad, but that coordination that relationships involve is something that very few other things in our environment have. You know, more and more technology is trying to create a person, right? We have Siri, we have Alexa, but it's computerized, it's not real, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect the complexity of interacting with another human being. I think that, again, like it's stating the obvious, appreciating that complexity of relationships and how important they are, even the negativity and how we resolve the negativity, even maintaining a relationship in the face of the negativity, how important that is. I think that's part of being human and maybe that complexity of being human, I, I feel like we, um, you know, I don't know if we want that complexity anymore. I think we like things to be fairly simple, right? Um, very clean. And I think making people aware of that, that complexity is part of what makes our relationships valuable and part of being human, to me, is important. So there you go. Being human means feeling that other humans are a lot more than just good or bad. Again, Vivian Zayas is the director of the Personality Attachment and Control Laboratory at Cornell University. You can hear her and many other experts on Cornell University's podcast series, What Makes Us Human. You can find links to that podcast and more in today's show notes. Join us again tomorrow for our regular format of the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.